Well, good morning. Great to see you today. You know, we are a fighting bunch. As human beings, we'll fight almost anything. If you looked in that video, like, did you catch that one of those fight scenes was between a human being and a kangaroo? I mean, we just are a fighting bunch, aren't we? Um, you look around our world, we fight, we fight about anything and everything. You know, they used to say you fight at the drop of the hat, and some people will go ahead and drop the hat just to start the fight, right? Um, <clears throat> since the fall, fighting has become a very real and present reality in our, in our world. Just like so many other things, though, it's a two-sided coin. Um, on one side, we fight because fallen people are selfish, and we want to control, we want to possess, and so we fight to own, to control, to manipulate. We fight. On the other side, we fight in a fallen world to survive and to push back against that which would damage us. We just fight, and there's two ways to understand fighting. I mean, I think about if, if Colby comes home, and tells me he got in it. Why do I always pick on Colby? He's not in here, so he, does, he has no clue. If Keegan came home and said he got into a fight, I'm concerned, right? I'm not thrilled about that. But if Keegan comes home and says, Dad, I joined the fight against this, or I was fighting for this, I'm probably thrilled, right? Fighting but in different ways. Um, think about the things that we fight for. We are always fighting for things like personal achievement and peace. We fight for peace. For prosperity. We fight for good communities. We fight for healthy bodies. Amen? Wow. Like, seriously. Like, we all understand that it's not our... Natural inclination to exercise and to eat well. And to not overindulge, right? We have to fight for healthy bodies. Or you could say we fight against, you know? What, what do we fight against? We, we, we are fighting against things like inequality and racism and, and disease. I've just been thinking this week about all the slogans or all the things that I've been a part of or have known about where we have joined in a fight against cancer, Right? To say the phrase fight against cancer is nothing new to you today. You've seen it. People wear pink, people wear blue in this fight against cancer. We're fighting for, we're fighting against. In fact, I would say that in this world, we, we actually value having some fight. Think with me, like, there is a sense of, a lot of times, I know it can be a difficult thing, but... In my own personal experience and being around people, sometimes even when a loved one is hanging on at the end of their life, we kind of sometimes speak in terms of endearment by we talk about how much of a fighter they were. Right? We, we value that toughness, that fight in somebody. Think about our sports teams. We like sports teams that have fight. They're gritty. Um... <laughs> I this has been right in front of my face this week. I coach an upwards team. And um, it's going to be a long season. 
Yeah. And they begin to realize that my team is all short. Okay? And so, yesterday, I was so disappointed with myself after the game. Because I kept thinking, you tried to teach them skill development and all this stuff, but the one thing you didn't emphasize, and now I realize I'm going to have to emphasize, just to even be a little bit competitive, is fight, right? Hustle, hard work. We, we value that, don't we? We love to see someone who has some fight in them, spirit to them. You know, yeah, that's great. They were a fighter normally has a good connotation. But obviously, like I said, fight can turn bad. I mean, have you turned on the news? Did you, did you know that there's an impeachment thing going on, right? Honestly, most of us hate politics because it's just a big food fight, right? Just fighting gone bad. I mean, uh, think about we fight over ethnic superiority. We have whole regions of our world that fight, bicker, war against each other. And they have for thousands of years. Because of ethnic superiority. We're better than you. We need to control. You know, it's fight gone bad. Uh, think about the cultural biases that exist in the fight. I, I have a lot of Irish blood in me, right? And my mom has went down this whole trail. And like she, a lot of times she tells me about stuff and I don't pay attention. You know, you just kind of get that glass like, I don't really care what my sixth grandpa did, but. It is interesting. I should, I, I do. And one thing, I've, I have paid more attention to, you know, Ireland. I've been to Northern Ireland for 10 days. I've tried to pay attention to that. And I'll tell you, in Ireland alone, the bickering and the fighting that happens between Irish people over cultural things, like Protestant and Catholic, so many things, cultural biases that exist. Fighting can go very bad. But the premise of this series is this. A fight for the family is a fight worth having. Or we could say it this way. Of all the fights to be had, fighting for the family is a good fight. It's a good fight. There is a section of scripture and there is specifically a scripture verse that just amplifies this I think if you remember Nehemiah in the Old Testament was a man who lived during the exile of the Jewish people and he had been taken away from Jerusalem when captivity had come to them as they had taken most of the people captive and moved them from the land and he actually had, had found himself in a position where he was in the king's court. He had the ear of the king as a servant, as a slave. And he just begins to feel on his heart. And no doubt the Lord was opening his heart and mind. 
And he just has this overwhelming desire to go back to the homeland and to try to rebuild it. It was ransacked, right? And he found the favor with the king. And the king says, you know what, uh, I'm going to let you go back. And he goes back and he starts to rebuild the city, right? And the walls. You, you've, you're very familiar with building the walls, Nehemiah, right? And he gets back there and he realizes, wow, this is a really big construction project, right? Pretty comprehensive. But to compound things, while they were gone, squatters had moved in. And they claimed the land for them, themselves. Especially this group of people called the Samaritans, Right? You know that there is no lost love between the Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were, they, again, this is the Jewish, I'm not, they were half, half breeds. Okay, mixed race. And the Samaritans were not thrilled about the Jewish people coming back in. And you remember how that all plays out in Nehemiah. And you have Sanballat and all these people who were fighting against them building. Not only did they have to do a construction project, they have to defend themselves. It was like they had a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. That was the approach they had to have. And in the middle of that, Nehemiah challenges them to this. I looked things over. I stood up and said to the people, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight... For your families. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Fight. This is a good fight. Because you're trying to restore what God had intended. And in that restoring, he is calling us to fight. I think the picture is beautiful to think about the culture that we live in. The pervasively secular culture where God's plan and design is is like a cultural avalanche against it. And God is calling us to fight. This is a good fight. Fight for your families. I think it's funny as we go through this month, and February is always family month, all right? If you haven't caught on that by now, uh, we talk about family in February. I don't know if it's just because they both start with F or what. But so this is the fourth year we've done this, right? And uh, uh, I think it's interesting that this month we're going to talk about a lot of different things that have to do with family and how the scriptures speak to us about our families. I think it's interesting that we're, you know, saying, hey, fighting for this. But we realize that in the unit of family, there's, there's so much fighting that can take place, Right? Fight for this, and yet in the context of family, it takes place. Fighting actually takes place in families, right? In fact, even in our own congregation. I mean, look at the way families fight, brothers fight. This was supposed to be a a simple, peaceful, fun game of flag football. Flag. You know what that means? Just pull the flag off the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Look at how family acts in flag football. That's your pastoral intern. 
It's just such a picture, right? One brother on his knees, the other one stomping off like. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting for family, it's kind of ironic that in the context of family, often fighting happens. But that unit, that family unit, is what God has given us. Now, if you look at Scripture, most of the examples for family are not positive ones. They're not what to do. If you think about the first homicide in the history of the world, it was between brothers, a brother killing a brother. The first civil war was between a dad and a son, David and Absalom. So there's not a lot of like, it's more not what not to do in Scripture. And yet... There are so many other places that we can begin to understand God's intent and God's design. Because a fight for the family is a fight worth having. You know, the family is the first and most foundational unit of all human institutions, which God created and ordained in Scripture. It is, and it is not only the most foundational, but it is the educational unit God uses to transmit his knowledge from one generation to the next. Families nurture and protect. Families shape identity. Families are training grounds of values and virtues. God's plan, God's design, God's idea. First unit ever created, family. I mean, it is core to what he's wanting to see accomplished, happen, And how we live and find our identity and and value our relationships, experience the goodness of God, is in a, it's foundational in family. I I saw a recent poll by college students, okay? So college students, just let that sink in. Okay, college students have a lot of things going on. A lot of new ideas, a lot of different ideas, right? They come home and then you argue at the table. No one does that. My dad, my poor dad. I went to college. I started coming home on the weekends sometimes, and we just would get into these huge arguments, you know, because I was just challenging everything. And anyway, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are just looking at me like I'm a bad person, but I was growing as a person. Um, But uh, they did a survey just recently. 97% of college students agree. 97%. It's a lot. Having close family relationships is the key to happiness. Close family relationships is the key to, you know, there's a, an eight sense that family is God's gift to us. It's a unit he wants us to thrive in and be a part of. It's foundational. And yet there is a cultural avalanche against the family structure in our present culture. And this is a fight that is worth having. Of all the fights that you could have, are in the middle of, are going to have, all the energy and the time and the resources and the effort fighting for, fighting against, I want to remind you that fighting for your family is a fight that is absolutely worth having. It is a good fight. You know, the scriptures use this imagery of fighting. Paul would use it. In fact, Paul specifically uses the imagery of a boxer 
Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I kind of feel sometimes that's what jogging is. That's why I don't jog. No, (laughs) that's an excuse. But, you know, or I do not fight like a boxer just beating the air. He uses this idea of, of combat. He would use combat as a soldier. He used athletics, a runner, a boxer, right? And he says, listen, that when I do this, I'm, I, I'm not aimless about it. I know what I'm doing. I know how to box. I know how to hit my target. I know how to bring the maximum impact to the fight. I've trained. I've learned. I've conditioned. And I'm not like a boxer who's just like, right, fighting, punching the air. And I want this month to be more than just knowing the right fight to have, but also equally important is learning how to have that fight. That's what scripture does. It's like Proverbs 24 would say, a house, the home is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. And so today I want to just start very foundational but I think it's the center of all of this. How am I going to have a good family? How do I fight for my family? What are the things that I need to know? You know, we are, I mean, we are very intent on understanding our kids, their personalities, our wives, our husbands, their personalities, their background, their environment, how they grew up, the psychology of it all. What are best practices for this? What is this? All of this stuff, we're inundated by it, are we not? We are the most informed, educated people about ourselves that have ever existed. Okay? And so often we're just looking for, just give me a best practice. Give me a book that I can read, seven principles to successful kids or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Right? And that that exists everywhere. And there's some value to that if it's biblical if it has scriptural basis, if it's God's design, if it's God's plan, right? If it doesn't conflict with God's word. And yet today what I want to just center on is a very simple thought, but it is the most important thought on how you and I fight for our families. I want to start by making some comments that kind of introduce Christian or Christ-centered homes are made, they're not inherited. You cannot pass down faith. You can pass down truth. You can pass down values. You cannot pass down faith. Stay with me here, okay? Because some of you are like, what? What am I doing? Christ-centered homes are made. They're not inherited. You can inherit a lot of things from your family. Possessions. A lot of different things. But this is one thing that you cannot inherit. Christ-centered homes are made, not inherited. 
good families don't just happen because they inherit they were inherited i want to say this the faith is one generation away from extinction people who study this just human behavior but then also in a Christian context or in a faith context or religion context will tell you that what often happens and has happened through the history of the world is one generation believed something. The next generation assumed something. They assumed that belief. The third generation ends up walking away from it. The faith is one generation from away from extinction. I want to say this, you cannot give away what you do not possess. You cannot give away what you do not possess. The last statement I want to make is this, do as I say, not as I do, is a road to spiritual disaster. Do as I say, not as I do, is a road to spiritual disaster. You cannot pass down what you do not possess. Are you starting to get the feel here? I'm trying to make statements to lead into this scripture passage that is foundational for us. That in this matter of fighting for my family, I want to have a Christ-centered, godly family. I want my kids, I want my home to honor God. That, that's why you're here. I mean, you're Christians, believers, and you understand that this foundational unit of the family where we live and we thrive. I want to fight for that. It's a good fight to have. Foundational to that is this one thing. It's what I would call a fight for authenticity. For authenticity. The most important thing, tool, weapon that you have in this fight for godly families is authenticity. So, God is in the middle of writing his book, right? Um, in Deuteronomy, we have a new people headed to a new land. And God is really starting to share who he is, what he has designed, right? Especially in, in that Pentateuch, those first five books. And in this foundational part of God sharing with his people and then on to us, the same principles apply. How he has designed this world to, to work. He starts off, I mean, talking about the family unit. He references the family unit. He who designed this world and has it at the center of this world starts right there. And he starts this Listen to these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This is an important part of Scripture, all right? This is like, okay, I want to understand how I live in relationship with God. This is like one of those first, you know, steps in the water of what this all means. For them, but it's passed on because you will understand that Jesus echoes this as at the heart of everything that the word is written about, is this, right? Jesus said these same words. 
So the right, God writing to his people says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, I think it's so interesting that when God's beginning to introduce how life is supposed to be lived out, he didn't say this. The Lord your God is one. Here's the code you must submit to and obey in order to teach the next generation. He doesn't say that. He says love. Why? Because you do not do, you do not do by what you understand to be right and wrong. You do by what you love. It is not your understanding of right and wrong that motivates your actions. It is love that motivates your actions. We are people who are not primarily thinkers. We are people who are primarily lovers. And what we love then drives and motivates our lives. And that's why God who understood this said, you must love the Lord your God. You must not understand and do this, this. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. He is calling you and I into a love relationship dynamic between him and his people. This isn't a owner to slave. You do this, 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 and this. It's built on a love relationship. Foundational to, listen to what he, he begins to say. He says this, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to this word that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Just put them everywhere. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What he is trying to introduce to them and to us is that at the center of who we are and what God has designed, especially in the foundational unit of the family, is what drives the bus, what leads the way, is a relationship with God where we love Him with all that we have. You see, the most important thing that you and I can give to our families is our living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? I know when I start to talk about this, I mean, oh, I feel the weight of that. This is why God, when he introduces this whole thing, this foundational, hey, teach your kids, the, you know, all this stuff, he, he does so saying that, listen, how you're teaching your kids, what you're teaching your kids, the manner in which you do that flows out of your relationship with him, loving him with all your heart, 
strength and your soul. The most important thing that you can give your family is an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what is passed on. That is what is caught. They did a, they did a study, um, again, to take you back to this. Why do kids end up being believers? Why do kids come to faith and stay in the faith? Number one reason. I'll read it for you. The young person's parents practice the faith in the home and in daily life, not just in public church settings. Number one reason. Foundational to how to fight this good fight is what matters most is who you are. I know we're concerned about what we're teaching them and how to navigate through this secular culture and how to teach them, you know, we're, we're, and how to understand them. And trust me, I'm, I'm on board with that, man. I try to figure out my kids' personalities and all that stuff, right? What are the best practices? But the thing that matters most to my kids is, is dad, does dad have a living, breathing Real relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. And that's why so many times people are like, well, I'm going to start taking my kids to church and I want my kids in church because I want them to learn and all this. And I want to say, well, at the heart of it, that's great. Don't get me wrong. But the most important factor is do they see Jesus in you? Are you walking with Jesus? Because guess what? You cannot give away what you do not possess. You have to possess the faith to pass it on to the next generation. Authenticity is at the heart of this fight. Who you are. What are you trying to pass down to your kids? What do you, ki what do you want your kids to experience? What do you want them to value? What life do you want them to have? Well, if you want them to follow Jesus above everything else, then you have to realize that your relationship with Jesus is absolutely the most important thing that you can give. Amen? It's so quiet in here. It's so quiet in first service. You know why? Because all of us feel the weight of this, do we not? We recognize, oh my goodness. And yet, there's hope in this. I would say this, that to experience authenticity I will embrace wholeheartedly the Lordship of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit in my life. Guess what? There's not a one of you in this room that cannot do this. It's not like, well, they're smarter than I am. They're just going to be better parents. Or they have more patience than I do. They're going to be better parents. Or, you know, all this reason why well, I came from a really dysfunctional home, and so I don't even know how to be a parent, and so I'm just going to keep that cycle going. No! Every one of us can experience this reality of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing you can give your kids is your faith, your authentic lifestyle in front of them. And it's for everyone. It's doable. It's attainable. 
Christ has provided that through his death, resurrection, the grace that he offers to us freely, the mercy and the love that he lavishly bestows on us, gives us the ability to accomplish and do the most important thing, have an authentic faith. And I, first of all, to experience authenticity, I will embrace wholeheartedly the lordship of Jesus. He said, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to what I'm telling you. And so I ask you this morning, do your kids know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do they know? Relationships are built on time and communication, right? That's what they tell us in marriage. It's true. Time and communication. Do your kids see your faith? The time you spend with Jesus, the communication you have with him. Because what happens is, is the way this is written, love the Lord your God, commit yourself wholeheartedly, then teach your kids it's not this moralizing kind of environment. Okay, now, moral lesson number five this week. I'm going to sit my kids down, and I'm going to teach them a moral lesson. That's not what the language is here. It's you will teach your kids out of the outflow of your loving God with all that you are. That you can't help but teach your kids because at the center of who you are is you love God. Like you're a Christ follower. And so it just naturally comes up in the conversations that you're having. Like I'm just talking about Jesus at times. Or we're talking about this and all of a sudden Jesus comes in. Or God comes in. Or his will, his way, his thoughts. It just outflows of my life that I'm living. That is the natural understanding of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Because I'm loving God. Then I'm just naturally teaching my kids while we're walking, for us it's driving, right, to soccer practice. Or when we're sitting down having dinner, are we even doing that anymore? Right? We're going to talk about that later this month. While we're, uh, while, while we're everything, it's just the natural oozing out of my life, my relationship with Christ, it just comes out. Well, you know what God has been, what God has done for me? How God has changed me. How God is doing this. He's showing me. Or we're going to pray about this because we trust Jesus more than anything. You see what I mean? It just flows. It's not like moral lesson number five. It's not a moralizing kind of idea. It is an outflow of my authentic faith in Christ. Fight worth having. How to win this fight. Number one, foundational is having authentic faith. And you know this, that to have authentic faith, it takes experiencing this relationship with God, but how do I cultivate this relationship with God? How do I get there? What are some, I, I want to just talk about practicing authenticity. In these four words, objective, priorities, schedule, and discipline. Because the scriptures teach us 
that to fight is to be intentional. To know how to fight is to have intentional, an intentional understanding of what needs to happen. To love the Lord your God with all that you are is a question about what do you value? What do you want most? And so in these words, I find, how do I get there to live authentically? Object, objective. What do you really want to become? What do you want your family to become? What do you want your kids to become? You know, there's a, there's a, there's a game tonight. You aware of that? None of us really care. Oh, yeah, he's a Niners fan. Dave, Dave is a Chiefs fan. So he cares. But the rest of us are just there for the food and the commercials, right? And hope a good football game happens. Littered on the rosters of both teams are men whose parents wanted desperately above everything else for their kid to be a professional athlete. And they sacrificed time and energy, resources. They made that an objective of their life. Obviously, there was DNA involved, right? I'm not playing in the NFL. I'm six foot. I'm not going to say my weight. I might be a kicker. Right? There's DNA involved. But they're objective. Maybe you ask yourself, what do you want? What do you really want to become? What do you want your kids to become? What's the most important? Out of that, how bad do you really want it? How am I going to prioritize? If I want my home to be Christ-centered, that's what I want it to be more than anything else. I, I, I'm willing to let go of lesser things if they are going to get in the way of a Christ-centered home. How bad do you want it? Are you willing to prioritize it? Where does it show up in my calendar? Because if it's my objective, and if it's going to become my priority, then it absolutely is going to take time in my life. It's going to be at the center of my calendar. You see, authenticity just doesn't happen. It's cultivated. Relationship with Jesus, leading your family with authentic faith yourself, it's cultivated. It has to become your primary objective. It becomes a priority of your life. It, it is works into your schedule no matter what's going on. Jesus has to be in the middle of your schedule. Right? And that last question, that last word is, am I willing to pay the price? What your family needs most is your authentic faith. That's what they need. And every one of us today can, can accomplish that, can experience that. They don't need a rich father. They don't need a successful mom. They don't need all the possessions this world could offer. What they need most is your living, vibrant, real faith. That's foundational to fighting this good fight for faith. Because of Jesus, His work, His grace, every one of us can experience the most important thing. We can have authentic faith. 
Jesus who said, Matthew chapter 16, when he's talking about this whole idea of following him, of being authentic. He says this in 25. Whoever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And the reality is, is if you will embrace wholeheartedly the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you'll have an authentic faith, if you'll lose your life, so to speak, for Him, following Him, you will find a life that is beyond your comprehension. It'll make sense. You'll be able to lead your families in a way creates a Christ-centered. Is that your objective? Is that what you want most? God calls us at the heart of that to love Him, to be authentic, to pass on through our life, our faith, the opportunity for them to meet Jesus. Father, as we start into this series about family, we're going to laugh a lot. We're going to get pretty transparent and open because family is, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty messy and we're okay with that. But Lord, on the first day, there is this sobering thought that who we are is the most important thing we can give our families. An authentic faith. And yet, Lord, we stand here because of your grace and your love with the opportunity, every one of us. There is not one person here today that can't contribute to the most important thing their family needs because of you, Father. So, Lord, help us just to remember this. For some, maybe this is the first time they've thought about this. Lord, just help them to to realize keep this at the center. For all of us, Lord, we can get so distracted by so many things that, Lord, we just lose sight of the most important thing. I I need to be authentic. I need to have a real faith. We're so grateful, Lord, that a real faith isn't a perfect faith. Now, our kids know that we're not perfect, and yet in the middle of our imperfection, they see that we continue rest and trust and move towards you and value you and live for you. That's what they know. They don't expect perfect. It's not possible. They just want authentic. They need authentic. So Lord, move us to you. Keep us with you at the center. Out of that, that is the big how. That is the uppercut in how to win this good fight for the family. Make us authentic in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week. Bless day.